Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. What does it take to bring people-focused leadership back to the forefront of the workplace? Hello and Welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman. Thank you very much for being here. So stoked to have you listening in to what I know you'll agree is a very timely conversation with our esteemed guest, someone I have been so looking forward to speaking with. She is the founder and chief candor, courage, and care officer of Assemble. It's a talent strategy firm that focuses on culture, communication, conflict, and change in the workplace. That's a lot of C's. Jill Katz, welcome. Wonderful to see you. Matt, this is such a a long-awaited day. I'm so excited to be here with you. I know. Well, you know, we were introduced uh, probably close to a year ago by a mutual friend, a gentleman, George Velios. We give some props to George. Thank you, George. And then we've uh, had some wonderful exchanges via LinkedIn. We've had uh, any number of conversations. And here we are, the official conversation. But I want to say, you know, before we get into uh, going all in about improving workplace humanity, uh, your bio states that most important of all, you are a very proud mom, a devoted wife, a Broadway fanatic, and a dog lover. Where would you start? I guess you have to start with your kids. There's there's no other place to start. There's nothing more important. And as a matter of fact, you caught me on such a special day because about an hour ago, I got a text from my daughter that the poem she wrote was selected by a group of her peers to be read aloud um, in her high school. So these are the things, Matt, that I am the most proud of. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally Relate, you know, parent number one. Uh, now, how old are how old are your is your daughter? So I have a daughter who is a sophomore in high school. We are right in the thick of it. We just took the PSATs for the first time. She is a basketball player, an amazing hard worker, a wonderful person. My son is in sixth grade. Oh, wow. He is. Uh, hoping one day to be a Broadway star and currently is playing Troy in a high school musical at the Glenfield Middle School. So buy your tickets now. It's going to sell out soon. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. Now, uh, dog lover, you have how many dogs and the names are very telling about a person and what they name their, their pets. I really appreciate you asking. So right now we have one queen of the universe. Her name is Callie. And actually, she is the CEO of Assemble. Ah, of course. Yeah, got to put I the mean, dog out front. Right. At, <laughs> well, I love that name, Callie. Um, I actually had a cat named Callie some years you ago. Did? So I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, so. Callie is the successor to Maggie, uh, who was actually Magnolia Dorothy. And Maggie was almost 17 huh. when she moved on. So... This is a very, very serious dog mom here. Right. You know, look, our, our lives re- revolve. They should revolve around our families and our pets, a huge part of them. Now, Broadway fanatic, before we move in, what is your favorite all-time Broadway show? 
Oh my goodness. Now you're now you're really getting into some serious stuff. Got pick. I love yeah. Wicked. I love Hamilton. Uh, but then there's a lot of shows that I actually had a chance to perform in. Ah. Uh, yeah, so not on Broadway, but there was a time in my life that musical theater was what it was all about for me. And there are many stories there, Matt, where as I was growing up, I actually thought I was going to take that route in life. And as a high school senior, I had a pretty seminal moment in my life where I had to make the choice. It was that fork in the road. Am I going to go the musical theater route and really try to do this for real? Right. Or am I going to go do, quote, the right thing and go to college and get a big kid job? And I chose to go to college and get a big kid job. And I will always wonder what could have been. And so I actually performed a great deal and I was in a lot of shows. Oh, that's up. wonderful. I never knew that about you. Um, yeah. I knew you were Broadway fanatic. I didn't know you performed. It's funny, Jill, I, I joke about a former guest. Her name's Rachel Druckenmiller. She is the only guest I that- know Rachel. Yeah, yeah. She's so fabulous. Yeah, she's yeah. fabulous. So she sang on the show. She belted one out. You know, she, she loves to sing. You have to know that about her. But I always yeah. say she's the only guest that's ever done that I'm just going to put it out there as we get toward the end of the show. If you feel inspired, um, you know, the the air is yours if you would like to step up and and <laughs> unexpected. All right, so let's jump in, uh, Jill, uh, with uh, Assemble Services. Now, you know, before in, in terms of getting to everything that you had there, I do want to acknowledge you have had some really big jobs in your past in terms of running HR for some huge uh, organizations, retail, USA Networks, Ann Taylor, Calvin Klein, Macy's, names people have heard of. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a heck of an experience. Why, what got you into that in the first place and what led you now into what you're doing? You know, I, I'm going to start off by embarrassing myself, Matt. Why not, right? Uh, I fell into HR completely by love, but by accident, because I'm such a dinosaur <laughs> that when I first started in HR, HR barely existed. And so I like to tell people I'm one of the few people left on planet Earth that actually started my career in the field. And I'm really proud and excited now because over the past five to seven years, we've seen people flocking into HR. We've seen this massive increase right. in interest and authority in the discipline. People starting to recognize how important HR is and what people strategy and talent and people operations and all of the new names we have right. for what we do can actually add to the business. I started here. And so I, I spent one year of my career in business development. And then I discovered HR when I was something like 22 years old and I've never left the field. And so I'm proud to say that I have, I'm not going to give a number, over 23, 24, maybe a little more years of experience actually doing this work. And there isn't a job in the field of HR that I haven't had a chance 
to physically sit in. And so that's how I got here. When I started in the field, it was actually called, we can say it out loud, personnel. Right. And believe it or not, we use it as a colloquialism, but we literally were in the back office. Yeah, personnel department. Sure. The personnel department in the back corner, back through a door, uh, the real deal. And I still tell a story that in one of my roles, I was really excited and I started in a company that I won't name. And I got there and I was the HR director and I had my own office and I was super pumped. (laughs) And my office, not a joke, it was the copy room. Nice. And so somebody walked me to the office. There was a nameplate. It said Jill Katz. I was like, wow, this is awesome. And when I walked in, there was a desk, a chair, and on the right-hand side, a little divot in the wall and two copy machines. And the person said to me, oh, by the way, it's also the copy room. So people may come in and out, but they will always knock. And I said, oh, oh, okay. Uh, And so that was literally how I grew up in the field. And so I have watched this field go through, I mean, monumental change. Right. And ultimately had the opportunity to lead and transform the function in organizations like Calvin Klein, Macy's, USA Networks, and organizations of the like. Yeah, and you know, we really are at another precipice and certainly what leads to the conversation today about the need now for another uh, uh, range of evolution needed in the field. I think uh, a lot of people are, are really, uh, you know, crying for it. And you are one of those people who is leading the way in, in terms of the, you know, leading the leaders. And I know, I know Assemble does any number of things. One of the things that I always take note of is when I see you post and you have uh, a Zoom of 15 or so people and everyone seems like they're always having a great time. I don't know how you catch that image, but I'm like, I want to be a part of that. That's, you know, that's one of your cohorts, right? You, you run cohorts of, of HR people, and, and what do you do with them? Well, we run all kinds of programs. We do all kinds of things, but you are probably talking about the Assemble Network. Okay. And the Assemble Network is a program I started almost four years ago before Zoom was even a thing. I I discovered Zoom way before the pandemic, and I started using it to connect people actually in a selfish way. It was just after I left my job and started Assemble, and I was concerned that I was going to feel lonely. I was working by myself. I had started consulting. I wanted to feel like I was part of a team. And I thought to myself, hey, what would happen if I brought together a group of individuals and helped people network in a way that is authentic, facilitating conversation and helping people build relationships and conversations that are meaningful instead of standing in some large, weird 
right. networking center where you can't hear anything and everyone's wearing name tags and no one knows what to talk about and you're screaming and holding cheap beer and it just totally sucks. And so I put together 10 or 12 people in a Zoom room. We didn't even know how to use Zoom and it started from there. And since then we've had over 270 people in the program from countless organizations at every level in every discipline across geographies. And what's actually interesting, Matt, is that it's way beyond HR people. We've had every type of role you can think of across technology, finance, legal, product, marketing, and HR. And that's what I love about the groups. We help people strip away their level, their discipline, their role. And what we learn is that leaders are really just people. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. First of all, the joy of being an entrepreneur where you get to shape your, your day. And I love how you describe, it. I didn't want to be lonely. You know, that's, that's where it, it, it starts. Now, when you get into those conversations, certainly over time, the narrative shifts with, with the times, what are some of the things that are really at the top of the agenda that people are talking about now? What are the hot topics that people are faced with that they're trying to address? It's interesting what I have found time and time and time again, and the topic I am most interested in is confidence. Really? So that's a, that's a, typically an HR person. Is it about having confidence in uh, elevating themselves or, or feeling like they're on a level playing field with the C-suite? I know that's certainly uh, you know an ongoing issue of, of the HR uh, leader and team needing to be part of the strategic decisions? Is that really the main application of that? We see confidence come up in, in lots of ways. We, we see confidence come up in, in imposter syndrome, people, people saying, my goodness, I just got promoted to XYZ role. Can I, am I really, am I really ready for this? Can I really do this? I'm now sitting at the table with all of these other people and, and can I, can I hang with these people? We hear people talking about how they feel in a meeting or a conversation and whether or not they can have a voice. So I had a meeting yesterday with the chief people officer of a very large organization and this chief people officer said to me that they continue to recognize how they hold back and wish that they would just say the full truth of what they have to say, but recognize that they just don't. So there's this imposter syndrome of, do I belong here? There's this holding back of the truth. There is a general confidence that people struggle with of, sure. my gosh, am I able to do jo the job? Or can I raise my hand for the next level of job? There are also people that are in transition and many people in transition and when people are in transition it often impacts our confidence of who we are as people and so there are so many ways in which confidence impacts us as human beings right yeah i, I think uh and even people who are confident and you know depending on what we're going through you know, need a, a boost at some point you know we all kind of cycle through it's, it's not anything I don't, if your, if your confidence is healthy, it's not 
some, as opposed to being more egotistical, if that's a fair statement, um, it's, it's not always entirely sustainable. You're going to go through different waves of feeling more confident and less confident. You always have to keep working at it. So now in, in this particular circumstance, you're, you know, senior HR people, various aspects of comp confidence to the topic we're really focused on here about there being people focused leadership, that they're, it's their role to drive that, that strategy, that culture of an organization to help leaders who are ultimately the ones, the top leaders who have to be the drivers and champions of uh, a people focused culture. How do you empower, you know, what are you guiding your, uh, your clients about in order to how to achieve that? Authenticity is, is really, to me, the closest solution to help people drive confidence. There, the, old, the old saying, I remember our parents saying, fake it until you make it. Right. And I think that's a bunch of baloney. I think that fake it until you make it creates a cascade of people feeling uncomfortable. I think if we turn fake it until you make it inside out, what you could instead do is open up lines of people feeling more comfortable. So if I said to you, Matt, coming onto this podcast, I, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I hate being on camera or I hate being on a recording, but I'm just going to give it a shot. Does that make you any less willing to be on a podcast with me? No, not in the least. In, in fact, I appreciate your authenticity in, in telling me where, where you are. I want to know that uh, going into the conversation. I want to certainly ask gracious host. I want to make sure that you feel comfortable. Uh, and it's important for me to know that about you, uh, rather than having that be under the surface and my not quite being tuned into it. And then there'd be some kind of a disconnect if I wasn't aware of it. So right then and there, that is how people can lead better. When we open up and tell people authentically how we're really feeling, we give others a chance to better connect with us instead of going into circumstances and faking something. So when leaders model that, when leaders say to their teams, I, I have a presentation tomorrow, what you're helping me build, I have to now go and present to our executive team. I'm really worried about the numbers why don't we sit down together so that we can make sure we can mess around with them, make sure they look better. Can you help me with them a little? Cause I'm nervous. That's a lot better than being a jerk about it and hiding your nerves. Right. It allows us to partner better. So the coaching I always give around confidence is be your authentic self. It will show your own humanity. It will also give you automatic ability to better connect with other people. And the better we connect, the more we become a people-focused team, a people-focused leader. It just happens that way. I would think that the times now make it easier to facilitate that shift. And by that, I mean, uh, certainly we've had 
uh, an obvious shift to, to hybrid and remote work, but that also means a certain shift to work-life balance. It breaks down that divider, that firewall that we have. Well, here's who I am when I'm a professional at the office. And we have, of course, we have to be professional. That's certainly part of the equation. But then I'm some other person somehow in my personal life, as opposed to just this is who I am. I, you know, I'm a whole person. Uh, and, and people treating each other that way, that, that I would think opens the door more for the kind of authenticity that you're describing. It opens the door. Now the question is, are we willing to walk in? So I'll give you an example of where there can be a miss. There is a, a client I worked with and the client recently lost their dog. We were just talking about dogs earlier in this conversation. Right. For people that have a pet, we know that that pet is a member of the family. In some cases, even more, more important than a person, right? <laughs> because the pet, the pet can't say something nasty to you. Right. And so, right? The pets are nicer than some of your relatives, right? Well, well you can choose your pet. That's right. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> nice. So this client, unfortunately, lost their pet. And, and this was a beloved pet, an, an older pet that had been part of the family for a really long time. And of course, this is a, a, a client. They work hybrid. And, and so she was on the phone with her boss when and had told her boss that she lost her pet. And certainly the boss had seen the pet many times because they work hybrid. Sure. And here was the first time she came into the office after she lost her pet and the boss didn't acknowledge it. Really? Like lost, lost, like never found lost. No, like the pet died. Oh, died. Okay. Yeah. Like Sorry lost. Okay. I'm with like, you now. Like lost your pet. pet. Okay. Yeah. The pet died and, okay. and it was a, a very tragic death. Right. And so here's a pet that the boss saw on the Zoom for the past two years, walking past, you know, sitting on her lap. And, and here she showed up in the office on an office day recently for the first time. And the boss says nothing. The boss says nothing. So these are just huge missed opportunities. And I got on the phone with this person. She happens to be a C-level executive at an organization. And, and of all the things, you know, we, all, we all think about C-level executives and we think, well, they must only think about the business. They don't because they're people. And she said to me, you wouldn't believe this. He didn't even mention my dog. Because that's what she thinks about because she's a person. Right. And she was devastated. Totally understandable. Now, in this particular example, because it's an interesting one, um, and I'm very sorry about her loss. Um, I was hoping when you say loss, I mean, I'm certainly tuned in now, but I was like, well, I hope they found it. I was, yeah, I had no, some hope there. Uh, of yeah, you. yeah. Um, but now you're all, and what's interesting is this is, I assume, uh, an executive, a head HR person who also is in a role professionally of leading their leader to be more people focused and she, here she finds herself the victim, if you will, of a lack therein. What does she do about that? Should she, even though it's about her and she's devastated, is there a follow-up to, to try and help that? I'm sure 
let me just give the benefit of the doubt to this leader. They're a good person. Generally speaking, they're a good person. They're thoughtless in this regard, and, and certainly that, that hurts. But you have to believe that the person that you're working for uh, is, is that good person. How, how do you handle that? How do you, if you're trying to really move somebody toward being more people-focused and they clearly are, have a blind spot, you know, what do you do in that case? Or was there something that she did? Well, it's interesting. I often go to the place that when people don't bring these topics up, it's usually because A, they don't want to upset you. We think to ourselves, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because my goodness, if I bring it up, I might upset him. Or I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because I don't really know what to say. Right. Or I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because um, I'm not sure if it's really my place. Or I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because that's personal and this is work. Right. Okay, these are the four most common. And all of those are wrong. They're all wrong. So here's the first thing. I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because it's upsetting. Matt is upset. Matt's upset and it's upsetting. I'm not going to bring up Matt's dog because I don't want to bring it up and upset him. Matt didn't forget. So you bringing it up to Matt you're not reminding Matt that his dog passed away. He's thinking about it. Right. And by you not mentioning it, the only thing Matt is thinking about is how could you not mention it? I'm not bringing it up to Matt because I don't know what to say. What you need to say is simply, I'm so sorry about your dog. Right. You don't need magic, fancy words. And the most basic, simple, direct words are exactly what you need to say. Right. Right. And, and so. And how are you doing? Is there anything I can do? Do, You know, right. Uh, It's interesting. And I like the dissection here of of the example. And it's, it's a real example. It's important. But when you walk me through it initially, and I put myself in that person's place of being devastated of the boss, not saying that, honestly, it never really it didn't cross my mind in empathizing and being on the receiving end that those were the reasons why the boss didn't say something. I never really thought to give them any benefit of the doubt that they were trying to be sensitive to not upset me or all the things that you just ran through. I only took it at face value, how inconsiderate it was not to hear it. So it's a really, it's, it's a very pointed example of that communication breakdown and Really, at the front end here, we're talking about culture, communication, conflict, and change. And it's all driven, really, at the heart of it by communication. This is a, a perfect example of, of that. Um, what more thoughts do you have on you know, where do you go from here about this or improving communication uh, for the, you know, the betterment of our topic here? Well, I would say, to, to your point, sometimes the person is just a jerk. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm still trying to give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to leave that out. Okay, more, that's fair. More often than not, that's not the case. More often than not, people want to do the right 
thing. And I do want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but they just don't know how, and they're not willing to just say the right thing. And I often say to people, it's okay. This whole bifurcation of work and personal, it went out in the eighties with hairspray. It's over. And so I guess the last thing I would say on the topic is there is no work life balance. There is just life. Right. And acknowledge it. And balance. Just acknowledge it. Right. Acknowledge what's happening with people, and that is what it means to be a people-focused leader. Acknowledge that the people you work with have a life, and that the work they do is a portion of it. And Matt, that's where you're an expert. That's really your area of genius, that this whole concept of we've got our work, and then we have everything else. No, no, no. That's how my dad grew up. Right. Work is a piece of the pie and it's probably, I hope, an eighth. There's so many other pieces. And as an employer, if you think you're 50%, you're way, 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 way out of the loop. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I think going back to that workplace humanity, that culture, that there is naturally, you know, we're still going through this shift. Like, you know, you're not your you know, your, your father's employee or, you know, going back to how that culture was, but there's still so many organizations that need to make that shift. They may even want to make that shift and not quite know how, you know, you, you talk about some of those large organizations that you worked at and I don't know they're the right examples in USA and Macy's and Calvin Klein, you know, those are huge ships to turn uh, in any other direction than the one that they're that they're moving. It has to come naturally. I know with a commitment from the top to make that change, I, I know that's where it has to start, but how do you instill that greater workplace humanity? If you're, if you're either that leader, you're that HR person and you're advising that leader or in doing what you do often in advising the senior HR people to advise those leaders, what are you telling them in order to make that shift toward the people focused leadership and organization? Don't focus on the organizations, focus on the leaders. And so I, I, I don't work with organizations per se. I work with leaders. I work specifically with leaders that believe in and align with our mission and assemble. We don't work specifically with HR leaders. Oftentimes our clients are the CEOs. Oftentimes our clients are the presidents or the CROs or the CTOs or the CPOs. We work with leaders that want to shift their culture. And so I often say to people, imagine throwing a penny in a pond. That's how you change a culture. So yes, I come from many huge organizations. The last place I worked had 180,000 people. You can't turn that ship around yourself, but you can throw lots of pennies in the pond and one penny in the pond creates a little circle. And if you can change that circle and other people see that, then another circle, bigger circle, bigger circle, bigger circle. And people see little pods of change and they say, wow, look what's happening over there. That's cool. I want to do that. And then another circle changes and then another circle changes, another circle changes. And that's how 
I was able to influence change in organizations where I had the opportunity to work. And that is how I've helped other leaders create and influence change in their organizations. So I tell people, people say to, to us, what kinds of companies does Assemble work with? And I say, we don't, we work with certain kinds of leaders. Right, right. And uh, let's just go a little bit deeper. Where does that leader need to be in order to be that ideal person to work with? They're, they're just, they're, they probably have certainly a pain point because they're trying to turn a, a ship that they're not really sure how pennies in, in the pond or otherwise, and they're looking for that guidance. But I imagine they have to be at that they have to be at that place of commitment. You're not going to work with somebody who you're going to tell all the things that you know they need to do that ultimately they won't. So um, is there more to that? I just make sure I'm not missing anything. The leaders that we work with have decision-making ability. They have to have influence. And they're usually either starting something new or changing something, fixing something that is broken. Right. Well, well, what's not broken? <laughs> I mean, you have to get right. You have, but you have to acknowledge that it's broken in the, in the first place. Um, you, you, you cover such a, a broad swath of, of, you know, across collaboration and communication and all the different programming that you do. Uh, the power of allyship. I, I, I like that one. And uh, confronting unconscious bias. You're running work boot camps. For the for the minutes that we have here and just going a little bit deeper on the work that you do, what would be a hot spot that you feel is being the expert here? I'm not really make sure. I'd rather ask you the general question to tell me than to try and pinpoint what, what you know. What do you think is going to be most helpful in terms of where the hot spots are and uh, what would you like to share? Uh, in terms of what we offer? Yeah, well, in terms of where... Um, you know, either particular advice that you might give, uh, you know, high end advice that people should take away from this conversation in a practical way, um, ways to shift an organization. Um, I'm grasping a little bit here, uh, you know, at your expertise. Uh, so what would be some of the takeaways from this aspect of your, the guidance that you give that you want to make sure the listeners come away with? I would say that there, you know, there's so many different ways that organizations can work with organizations like ours. And I think one of the things that makes Assemble different is that I spent more of my time sitting in the seat of a chief people officer than I have doing what I'm doing now. I spent over 20 years sitting in the business, being the decision maker, interviewing people like myself. And so I sat in the job. I was in the boardroom, I coached all the leaders, I managed all the performance issues, and I understand what, what that's about. At Assemble, we offer learning programs, we do people strategy and coaching. Many of those services I was able to do in-house, and my team did a really good job. We do a great job at Assemble. Yeah, you we a offer great team. What was that? Yeah, I love your team. I've I've met a number of your team oh. members. You have you have a look. I mean, you walk the talk. You've got a great culture, uh, in in terms of uh, you know by extension of you and and what you guys do. But please continue. Thank. You. That's so nice. Thank you. Well, we 
we take great pride in that and we we do try to walk the talk and i i think what what really is the special sauce for us are our leadership offsites and i learned this when i was in house which is no matter how good you are in house you just can't run your own leadership offsites and that's like being your own marriage therapist even if you are a therapist you can't therapize yourself right and so what we've gotten really good at is coming in to leadership and executive teams and helping them in our full day or two day customized programs facilitate the hard, honest conversations that leadership teams need to have in order to what we call align and accelerate. And so I think probably that is what is most unique and special about the work that we get to do. It also sounds like if you are that organization and you're trying to figure out, well, what do we need to do in order to make this shift, whether they're able to find you uh, uh, or, uh, you know, you're in high demand, uh, you know, if, you, if, if everybody started knocking on your door all at once, you know, what do you, you know, what do you do? But the reality is that this is what they need to do. They need to make the decision. We are going to do a leadership offsite. We are going to in, invest in, in that and ourselves and be willing to you know, peel back the, you know, whatever layers are there of the things that are maybe ingrained from culture or otherwise, and just be people and have these conversations knowing that you're trying to make and be willing to make that shift. Is that, is that fair? It is. It's not easy. It takes a lot of courage, but when teams are willing to have the hard and honest conversations, the result is absolutely and always exponential right yeah I, you know, it's good because i was trying to pinpoint and i really do feel like that is it you know you're that leader if, if you really want to make a shift you know and, and you don't go halfway you've got to be willing to take that step yeah right because otherwise it's just you know window dressing uh you gotta you gotta be able to to, to get to the, the heart of it and Therefore, uh, candor, courage, and care come into uh, into full focus. All right, so Jill, we, we are going to get to our insights to live by, but before we do, uh, we have uh, a little segment. I know we got to get to know you just a little bit, but we have, a, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we have something called the Wheel of Insights. And uh, as you see, we're coming up on the screen. We have insights about Jill Katz. We have this 12 different questions. They're randomized. We're going to take a spin. Let's see where it lands and find out something more about you. (laughs) Um, Jill, if you were a cartoon, (laughs) you know, these are like, these are not personality tests, but is there a cartoon character or type of cartoon? You can answer this any way you want that you identify with. Hmm. A cartoon. Like for me, I've always been a Bugs Bunny fan. Whatever that yeah, is, mean, his personality. I, yeah. The, I think, you know, it's funny. I don't really remember that many cartoons, but when you <laughs> said a cartoon, the first one that came to my mind was the Jetsons. Yes. That's okay. So, and, and why is that? Any particular reason? I have always been really way far out ahead of doing things and thinking about things that are not quite here yet and really interested in 
the future and pushing the envelope and taking risks. Um, and one day I really want a Jetsons car. Like I just, right. I don't want to drive on the highway anymore. Yeah. I'm right there with you and perhaps we'll be that fortunate. Um, yeah, I know it's interesting. I, and by the way, no guest ever gets the same question. So I'm always curious to know, uh, what, what comes of this and, you know, being ahead of the curve important, but not always, uh, an easy or, uh, <laughs> or fun thing, uh, because you're, you know, you're pushing against it. All right, let's go one more time. Let's see where it takes okay. us. This is probably the hardest question on the wheel because it is the question that has uh, <laughs> has a perplexed man for all of ages, the chicken or the egg. If you don't want to answer this, I will go one more time. This is a pretty heady question. Does anything come to mind when I, when I show you this? Chicken or the egg? Yeah. All right. Let's go again. Some questions make it on the wheel. Okay. Well, Here's one. Jill, who is an influential mentor to you, to you now or has been in your life? Oh, my gosh. What a special question. There's so many. Um, in, this, in this particular moment of my life, the answer is my dad. Nice. Um, my dad has instilled in me a work ethic that is hard to describe um a belief in always doing the right thing all the time no matter what even if it's the hard thing to do loyalty treating people with respect no matter who they are ambition my dad taught me that I can be anything or anyone I want to be, even though I'm a girl. And gave me opportunities as a child and a person growing up that instilled in me a desire to turn around and do the same thing for my kids. Right. So core. And he was right. You're doing it. Um, I love that. Thank you, Jill. Okay, so that's going to bring us over to our insights to live by. As you know, we love to hear three life lessons that you'd like to share. They don't have to do anything with HR, the things that you do day to day. It could be your life philosophies, the advice that you currently give people. It might even be the advice that your dad or anyone else typically gives you that you pass on. Jill Katz, what is your first insight to live by? The first one is candor, courage, and care. It has to be. There's no choice. Uh, that is our trademarked leadership and feedback model. And so you can Google us, learn more about candor, courage, and care, but that's the way that we believe you need to live. Yeah, I mean, it summarizes it, uh, and the alliteration works as well. Uh, okay, so we're going to go to the next, Jill, your second insight to live by. What comes to mind? Our second is it's all about relationships. And I can't tell you how important this is. I believe that everything in the world, if you if you just imagine a boomerang or a racquetball court or anything that bounces back, there is nothing that happens in the world for good or for evil that doesn't ultimately come back around and isn't about a relationship. And so focus on if you focus on nothing else 
Focus on building and nurturing the relationships in your life. Wonderful. That is sage advice. And, and you, you said you can't tell us, but you just did. So thank you. I appreciate, appreciate that. Um, all right, Jill. Now, your third insight to live by, it could be on the level playing field. It might be the one piece of advice that you give above all else. Either way, what is your third insight to live by? I gave this advice to my son a few weeks ago, and I asked him to write it down. We can all thank Stephen Sondheim for this. Okay. It is lyrics from a song. All right. It is the prettier the flower, the farther from the path. And this is something that I have, it almost makes me emotional. And I have believed this my whole life. The prettier the flower, the farther from the path. And what I believe it means is that the things we may want the most, the things that are the most beautiful are in fact the hardest to get and worth working for. And the path is charted, it's easy, it's comfortable. But if you really, really want the gold ring, you gotta take the risks. And that beautiful flower doesn't bloom by itself. It needs- It sure doesn't. And that's actually part of the conversation I had with my little boy, which is, if you wanna go off the path, you need to make sure you have a support system because when you take the risks, you never want to take them alone. Wonderful. That is a little, that's pretty high end for a sixth grader. Very uh, impressive. And I'm sure uh, that was an interesting conversation. I miss that age, I have to admit. Um, Jill, as we wind down here, I want to make sure that we covered uh, from, from your genius of expertise, um, everything that you want to make sure that the listeners come away with from the conversation. Did we miss anything? Anything in particular you want to share? Uh, this is your time and space. I think we covered everything. It was so great to be here with you. It's such a great conversation. Thank you. I so appreciate it. Well, we're going to have in the show notes where to find you. That's certainly hrassemble.com and your uh, LinkedIn and otherwise. Jill Katz, easy to find. And thank you very, very much for being my guest. I'm so looking forward to the conversation and you, you totally came through. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. So much fun to be with you. Thank you so, so much. It's a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Please feel welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and make the most of our free resources to improve your life for good at mattzinman.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.